Drafting Archetypes is brought to you by Game Grid Lehigh. Game Grid Lehigh is an amazing place to buy and sell Magic the Gathering singles. Whether you're building a new cube or crafting your new constructed deck, Game Grid Lehigh is the place to do it. Got a draft coming up with some friends? Buy some seal product here and get it quick. So click the referral link in the description to help out the show. And don't forget to use the code DRAFTPRO10 to get 10% off on your next order at gglehigh.com. Hi everyone, this is Sam Black with Drafting Archetypes, and this week I'm going to get into my first uh, Dominaria United archetype breakdown, starting with Defenders. This is a sub-theme that exists in this set that's uh, relatively unique. Um, there, it's happened like once or twice in the distant past, but it's certainly a very different texture in this format, and I wanted to talk about uh, what's going on with it, how to draft it, what to look for, all of that. So, let's get into it. Of course, uh, the notes are available on patreon.com slash draftingarchetypes if you want to follow along, as always. So first of all, the Defenders deck is real. There have been some questions about whether or not it's real. It is. That said, uh, I think that it's very, very easy to draft it wrong, and there are some serious traps. Specifically, uh, Blight Pile, that's the one in a black 3-3 three, three that can make your opponent lose life for your defenders, and Coral Colony, uh, that's the one in a blue 1-4 that can mill your opponent for your defenders, are not important. Uh, drafting around them is not good. They are additional walls that you defenders that you can play if your deck needs more defenders for other payoffs, but... They should not be your central game plan. The reason that they shouldn't be your central game plan is important to understand because... So Doorkeeper was a bad version of Coral Colony that existed in the past. That was a defender that could mill your opponent for your defenders. And it was kind of a viable path to victory. It's not that Coral Colony can't deck your opponent. It's that it's not a good strategy to try to in this format. The reason is that these are very, very slow, and more importantly, very, very mana-intensive. And mana is just too valuable in this format. Uh, because of kicker and a lot of, like, card draw and, like, things that, like, replace themselves uh, and recursion and mana like, activated abilities at common, there is just, like, a lot more stuff asking you to spend mana in this set than you can really spend it on. I've had uh, multiple decks now that could realistically just expect to spend all of their mana every turn throughout a game, no matter how long that game lasts. And the thing that you're getting when you put mana into Blight Pile or Coral Colony just is not as valuable as the mana that you're investing and like the opportunity cost of the other stuff that you could be doing with it in this format. So while those creatures have like okay defensive stats and can end games in certain spots if you're just like thinking about general magic theory in terms of like uh the person who spends more mana in the course of a game wins the game so aggro decks are trying to prioritize spending their mana on their first few turns and ending the game before the opponent can spend more mana than them later control decks are trying to like make a game go long enough that they can spend a lot of mana 
uh, on later turns and leverage the effect of that mana to victory in some capacity, the like general what am I getting for my mana and how much am I spending and like how is that mana contributing to victory math is just bad on Blightpile and Coral Colony. The other issue is fundamental to trying to play a control deck um, in this format. I have not, I'm not using 17 lands data for this uh, episode in any way. We are one day into the format being live, and I think that this is a format that's very complicated. Uh, the cards can be used in a lot of different ways and have strength that varies a lot depending on what cards they're paired with, and that generally makes the data less reliable, and then obviously there's a very small sample size. Due to similar factors, it's hard out there for a control deck in that you can be attacked, like the decks do really different things and they're attacking you in a lot of different ways. Some people are going wide and pumping. Some people are having like big fundamental turns with like, is it stuff that triggers on playing instants and playing a whole bunch of instants? Uh, some people are playing huge creatures. Some people are generating insane value engines. You're being attacked from a lot of different directions, and when you're being attacked from a lot of direction, different directions, it can be hard to cover your bases with a control deck, which is why it might be better to play one of those like proactive aggro decks that has a very clear strategy about how you're going to end the game. I'm going to go wide, and then I'm going to play uh, some kind of trumpet blast effect, and then my opponent's going to have no life left. However, as mentioned, there are a lot of like mana sinks, and the removal is very strong, and there's a lot of stuff going for control decks in this format. And there are cards like Choking Miasma, the uncommon infest that you can kick for green to put a plus one, plus one counter on one of your creatures that are really, really good against a lot of the aggressive decks and help control decks cover some of their bases. All of this difficulty in covering your bases is kind of what you need to be thinking about if you're playing a control deck at all, and like a defender deck in particular, because defenders fundamentally, because they can't attack, if they're not blocking, the body doesn't do anything. And so you need to figure out how you're going to make this card matter. Blight Pile and Coral Colony are ways to make the card matter, but they cost too much mana to be actionable most of the time. The answer here is that Wingmantle Chaplain, the white 4-mana 0-3 that uh, gives you a 1-1 flying bird for each uh, defender that you have when it enters the battlefield, and then whenever you play another defender, you get another bird, is the defender that matters. It's what's going on here. It's the reason to care about defenders, and it's really, really, really good at covering your bases and attacking from an angle that's hard to defend against. Uh, because the format has some decks, uh, like, uh, flyers can be a problem for defenders because the defenders themselves don't have flying and need to block, and so they can't block flyers. The birds can. The birds also cover if your opponent's trying to go wide. The birds also answer the question, how do I kill my opponent with all these defenders in a way that doesn't require a bunch of mana? So when I say defenders is real, Blight Pile and Coral Colony are traps. Wing Mantle Chaplain is what's up. If you have Wingmantle Chaplain, your deck should care about and be drafted around defenders and taking advantage of Wingmantle uh, Chaplain. If you do not have Wingmantle Chaplain, you should not be drafting around defenders for defenders' sake. Fortunately, there are independently good and playable defenders that can 
position you to take advantage of Wingmantle Chaplain if you see it, exist as playable cards in your Wingmantle Chaplain deck if you don't draw Wingmantle Chaplain, and most importantly, help you draw Wingmantle Chaplain. So that kind of gets us into how and why and when do you draft defenders. The first option is you open a pack, it has a Wingmantle Chaplain, you take it, and then you prioritize getting other defenders to make it work. This is good because you know you have Wingmantle Chaplain, and Wingmantle Chaplain is very, very good. But it's bad because if you push your Wingmantle Chaplain too hard and you start taking like Blight Piles and Coral Colonies because you're worried that someone you pass them to might take them as a sign that they should be drafting defenders, and then you won't see the other defenders that you need because someone else is fighting you for it. And just in general, if you don't get the other good defenders and you've taken cards that expect that you will, you can end up in trouble. Which is to say that if you start with Wingantle Chaplain, I think you still want to kind of like wait and look for the other good defenders before like taking the bad defenders. The bad defenders, Blight Pile and Coral Colony are among the bad defenders. The bad defenders are all the ones that aren't the good ones. I haven't gotten to what good ones are. Let's get into that now. So... Independent of whether or not you have Wingmantle Chaplain, Floriferous Vinewall, which is the O2 defender that when it enters the battlefield, you look at the top six cards of your library and you could put a land from among them into your hand, and Gibbering Barricade, the three mana 2-4 that you can spend three mana to sacrifice a creature to gain a life and draw a card, are independently good cards. If you are playing a black and or green control and or domain deck, you would like to have multiple Floriferous Vine Walls and Gibbering Barricades in your deck most of the time, regardless of whether or not you care about defender synergies. That means that regardless of whether you have Wingmantle Chaplain, you can draft those cards reasonably early, play them, be happy about them, they can enable other stuff that's going on in your deck, then they also set you up to, if you see a Wingmantle Chaplain, pivot from your kind of generic green-black control deck into a Wingmantle Chaplain deck. The final good defender is Shieldwall Sentinel, 4-mana Artifact 1-4, that when it enters the battlefield, searches your library for a defender and puts it into your hand. I like to pick up Shieldwall Sentinels kind of any time in the like mid to late pack 1 or pack 2 in case I see a Wingmantle Chaplain, and even if I don't, Sometimes it could be playable if you just have like Blurfer's Fine Walls and Jibbering Barricades and you want to potentially like find your barricade and get another thing to sack to it or whatever. But it's not very good if you don't have Wingmantle Chaplain, but uh, you can often find it at a relatively low opportunity cost when walls are open because no one who's not doing the thing in a dedicated way wants to take it. So your deck really wants to revolve around Flurifer's Fine Wall, Jibbering Barricade, Shield Wall Sentinel, and Wingmantle Chaplain. If those are your only defenders and you have multiple copies of any or all of those cards, you have a good core of your defender deck. All of the other defenders are kind of like also rams that you can put into your deck to get more defenders for your Wingmantle Chaplain and to have some maybe like, you know, utility options with your Shield Wall Sentinels. But it's really just about those four defenders. I think that this is, there's really very, very little exception to this. Like, it, this isn't like, oh no, but sometimes, I, like, I really think you should not draft around Blight Pile and Coral Colony and or. 
If the whole thing revolves around three commons and one uncommon, A, how much of a thing is this? Answer, plenty. The cards go late enough and work well enough that it can end up being a core part of a reasonable number of decks. And what's the rest of your deck? Because like, even if you have this, it's going to be what? Like a seven card package? That's a very good seven card package. Totally happy to play seven of those cards in basically any combination. But you, there is, you know, that that's still just like under a third of the spells in your deck. So you have some other stuff going on. So basically, you want to think of yourself as a control deck. You're looking for removal. You're looking for card advantage. You're looking for good cards. You know, a normal, a normal multicolor control deck. So you want you want to prioritize all the removal, all the good kicker stuff. But most importantly, the, the one real standout card for me here is Urborg Processing. That's the one-mana black sorcery that returns a creature from your graveyard, and then you can kick it for one and a green to also gain two life, and or maybe the two life isn't part of the kicker, regardless, and then get another permanent card from your graveyard. And the reason... Sorry, Urborg Repossession. And the reason Urborg Repossession is so good in this deck outside of just well it's like get two cards get two life uh spend not too much mana um is that it lets you recycle your wing mantle chaplain and the really great thing about recycling the wing mantle chaplain is that you get birds for all of your defenders on enters the battlefield so even if you played your Wing Mantle Chaplain early and then played some other defenders after that and made birds for each of them, now you have some birds in play. Maybe those have traded off. Maybe they haven't. You have a bunch of defenders that tend to just kind of hang out and not do very much. Then your Wing Mantle Chaplain dies. Maybe you find a way to chump block it. Maybe you sacrifice it to your uh, Jabbering Barricade. Maybe you sacrifice it to a Bone Splinters. Whatever. It ends up in your graveyard. Then you can reprocess it back. And then when you play it, you have all these other defenders, you immediately get a bunch more birds. That's a game-ending play most of the time. Um, obviously, additionally, you're probably just taking and playing random high-impact good cards. Reprocessing them is going to be very strong. But I think reprocessing specifically is like the key non-defender common to keep an eye out for in your defender's decks, um, which is to say anytime you have Wing Mantle Chaplain. In short... The Defender Archetype is exclusively about abusing Wing Mantle Chaplain because there is a common that tutors for it and a common that can rebuy it from your graveyard, uh, both of which it's not very hard to get and possibly get multiples of, and then it pairs with a couple other good value cards and functions in a in the core of a control slash domain deck that kind of naturally wants Flurifer's Fine Wall in particular to tie the room together. So that's it. That's what's going on here. That's how to draft defenders. I think that you will see people showing off other decks that happen to have like 10 defenders and milled people out with Cora Colony or something. I think that uh, those decks are playable but not exciting if you get it all and anytime you see such a deck if it has a wing mantle chaplain that's where almost all of its power is coming from regardless so that's my speech on defenders that's what i think you need to know about drafting this archetype 
And then as far as what it, you know, I, I think that there are, I want to call attention again to some of the bigger picture stuff that I mentioned to set the stage here that I think given that this is the first podcast about this format is really important to pay attention to, which is just every deck is doing a, every good deck is doing a good, powerful, synergistic thing. And there are a lot of different good, powerful, synergistic things that you can do. And that means you're being attacked in a lot of different ways. There are a lot of different bases to cover. You can be proactive as a way to cover all of those bases, or you can have just a lot of power and a lot of good, versatile, reactive tools. Uh, both of those are viable, possible things to do in this format. And mana is extremely valuable. Uh, you are gated way more in this format on uh, your amount of mana than your things to spend mana on. As a result, like the uh, tutu kicker guy that um, like looks at cards and puts one of them in your hand when you kick it is not uh, uh, Vine Shaper Prodigy is the name of the card I'm talking about. Vine Shaper Prodigy is not in the same space in this format as like Organ uh, Hoarder is in Midnight Hunt. They are cards that look somewhat similar on the surface, but I have found that a 2-2 body is very, very low value in this format, and 4 is a lot of mana to spend. And this isn't to say that it's a bad card, but you really want to pay attention to how you're impacting the board and what you're getting out of your mana in this format, because there's so much to spend mana on. Uh, you just want to be careful that you're spending it on stuff that matters. That's kind of the thing to think about as you're figuring out the rest of the format, I think. That's it. Let's turn it over to chat for questions. While I'm letting this happen, reminder again, as we get into back into the regular swing of things with a really good, fun new format... If you are looking to support the podcast, uh, get some extra content, get the notes and stuff, um, get my access to my logs and everything, be sure to check out patreon.com slash drafting archetypes and see if that looks like it's for you. First question, did I talk about Walking Bulwark? So Walking Bulwark is the one mana 03 defender with two colon until end of turn target creature with defender gains haste, can attack as though it didn't have defender and assigns combat damage equal to its toughness rather than its power, activate only as a sorcery. So this is another way to spend mana to damage your opponent, similar to Blight Pile, but kind of at a better rate. I think that it suffers from the same issue as Blight Pile, which is that you have to spend mana to do anything, and I think that you really want to avoid defenders as a, like, turn mana sink into damage, turn mana into damage. At that point, you're just like an aggro deck in some capacity, except you're spending mana to do it where your opponent is not spending mana to attack you. I think it's like an okay, like also ran finisher type card, but I don't think it's anything like important. Would Two-Headed Giant change things enough that Playpile can be essential to the game plan? This podcast primarily focuses on drafting, and Two-Headed Giant drafts are uncommon, but uh, Blight Pile does double damage because it's each opponent in Two-Headed Giant. 
would that be enough to change things? I think that if you're playing like a two-headed giant sealed, Blight Pile is a very reasonable card to include. You can put all of the defenders from one pool in, and games often go in such a way that I could see Blight Pile being important. Blight Pile also, incidentally, like is a completely playable card. Like a 3-3 defender for two isn't a bad baseline if you care about defenders at all. Like I'm not saying that you'll lose if you put Blight Pile in your defender deck. I'm saying you should not draft your deck around Blight Pile as your plan to win the game. Is there a priority of a color that we should be looking for when multiple dual lands show up early in the draft? You should never take a dual land without knowing what colors you are looking for. And so this is going to entirely depend on what colored spells you have. If you're saying like, should I force blue-green and therefore take blue-green duels over other things? No. I, I'm not sure if this question is about this archetype. Uh, if it is, I guess the answer would be like, if you're in the green-black space and there's like a duel that you want to speculate on, it would be speculate on a green or black duel that gives you white manas that you can splash wing mantle chaplain. So basically you can't force it unless you see the white one at the very beginning. Yeah, I mean, there's like, the white one is the thing that makes the defender package do something rather than just, I have some value creatures and I'm playing them. So you can't say like, oh, I'm just going to draft defenders this time and it's going to like be a deck. You can take the defenders that are good. And then if you see wing mantle chaplain, you have a deck that cares about defenders. Is the one uncommon defenders enough to consider having the defender package, or do you need two? Uh, oh, if you have, no, you, like, a second wing mantle chaplain is totally busted, but you only need one, because you can, like, if you have a shield wall sentinel or two, you can find it. And remember, the other cards that you're playing, the Florifers, Vine Walls, and Gibbering Barricades, are fine even if you don't have the wing mantle chaplain. So you certainly don't need to get two copies of wing mantle chaplain for your deck to be good. You might want like two copies or a lot of shield wall sentinels plus some recursion to bother playing like blight piles and other weaker walls. But as long as you're not straying from Flurry Spine Wall, Gibbering Barricade, Shield Wall Sentinel, and Wing Mantle Chaplain, it doesn't matter at all if you have multiple Wing Mantle Chaplains in terms of whether you want to play those cards. What kind of removal, large slash small, is most valuable to this archetype? What removal spells do you prioritize slash would you splash for? Really just a good mix. I would say notably like Bone Splitters um, is good with wing mantle chaplain and flare first vine wall since you can sack the vine wall or the bird or the chaplain if you want to get it back any of the like the you know um the black minus two minus two that kicks for blue if you have access to blue mana is pretty good the multiple different like four mana removal spells that are hard removal like the disenchant that kicks into exile any non-land permanent and the kill a thing and gain life if it didn't cost very much mana and uh, the deal damage to a um, tapped creature for one plus domain in white. I would say maybe watch out for playing the bite if your creatures are all low power defenders. But, you know, any, any of the efficient removal in any combination is fine. Given what you said about mana, how many lands do you recommend in this archetype? I've generally been playing 17 in general. Obviously, it kind of depends on how many Fleur First Vine Walls you have. But for the most part, I think that, like, you want to make your land drops, but you don't want to 
play extras if you have some number of cards that are just like two mana find another land. If you had like three or four Florica Swinewalls, I might go down to 15 or 16 lands. But for the most part, I, I think I, I've generally just been playing 17 in this format, uh, unless you're like blue-red aggro with a lot of cantrips, you can go lower. I could imagine decks that go higher, but I generally just have enough ways to search for lands in those decks that I don't end up wanting to go higher. Uh, is the Abzan color combination the most common one where you're where you fall drafting the deck? Not exactly. It's more green-black domain because Wingmantle Chaplain, like there aren't that many white cards that you really want because so many of the white cards are dedicated to the like go wide aggro stuff i think that and also a lot of the good white cards are double pip and i mostly just don't want to take those here because i think that it's very hard to have a mana base that like functions and supports like citizen arrest so i'm mostly planning to like splash wing mantle chaplain with flora first vine wall to enable the splash and i'm reasonably likely to be splashing you know, about as many blue or red cards as uh, white cards. So I would say that this is primarily an offshoot of green-black domain as an archetype. I'd say it works in Esper just fine. Uh, yeah, I mean, if you don't, like, the only reason to care about green is for first vine wall. If you happen to not have that, you know, anywhere where you can get enough defenders with your wing mantle chaplain, ideally paired with your bring barricade. Colors in this format are generally pretty flexible. It's more about like, do you have the cards that do the thing? Can you cast them? And uh, there are a lot of ways to accomplish that most of the time in this format. Are you playing Urborg Repossessions or other ways to replay and protect wing mantle? Yes. Uh, Sorry, yeah, I assume you were not here for all of it. Uh, Urborg Repossession I mentioned as the single most important non-defender card for this archetype. Does Academy Wall have any value to you? This is the O5 Defender, where whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell, you may draw a card. If you do discard a card, this triggers only once each turn. So this card is a playable additional card in a defender deck, maybe, but it's really, like out of place most of the time. Like you're probably not playing a lot. Of, basically, this is a card that has defender, but I think less than all of, is less for the defender deck than all of the other cards that have defender. There are versions, basically like if I have blue mana in reasonable amounts and I'm doing a defender thing, I would be perfectly happy to play this as long as I have, you know, six plus instants and sorceries in my deck. A lot of my, uh, like, green-black domain decks don't have six-plus instants and sorceries. I think Academy Wall is mostly, like, not for this deck. Like, it, it's four decks. Like, the Esper deck that has, like, maybe Gibbering Barricade, Wingmantle Chaplain, maybe Academy Wall, and then a bunch of, like, spells stuff is a very different direction than the like green domain deck that's doing this. I think that like there might be an academy wall wing mantle chaplain like blue white kind of flyers deck that's getting a lot less value out of the wing mantle chaplain but just kind of using it as like a seller of songbirds plus and then using the academy wall as a blocker while you win with flyers. And then I've seen some blue-red decks that play Academy Wall. I'm not sure how good it is in those decks. It seems like a worse 
payoff, for instance, in sorceries than the other things. But yeah, I, I think that it is playable, but not exciting and kind of for different decks most of the time. There's a note about bouncing Wing Mantle Chaplain with Geyser or whatever. Yeah, uh, there are ways to bounce it and anything you can do to trigger it again is good. Uh, I've also seen someone play it with the uncommon green creature that kicks for to, up to seven mana for blue to copy a creature you control. That made a third copy of Wing Mantle Chaplain for my opponent. That was extremely powerful. So that's definitely another one to look for. Really, any anything that gives you extra Wing Mantle Chaplain triggers you should consider. I uh, just drafted, immediately before this podcast, I drafted and played a game with a deck that has the vehicle that flickers things that crew it with a like wall wing mantle chaplain thing and it has flare first vine walls and shield wall sentinels to flicker and uh yeah golden argosy flickering like all of you know you, you can have a, a game where you flicker shield wall sentinel wing mantle chaplain flare first vine wall they all come into play at the same time you get just like a nutty number of uh birds and also other cards coming into your hand yeah there there are certainly more ways to abuse Wing Mantle Chaplain than just playing it and playing other walls and getting it back from your graveyard. Any of them that you happen to find are worth doing. Let me see if I can touch on this usefully. I've been struggling with this format and finding a footing. There are so many different things you can do and I'm finding myself doing a little bit of a lot and then ending up with nothing really coherent. Any tips during the drafting phase to look out for when thinking about what you can do? Yeah, I mean, you want to start to understand your game plan as soon as possible in this format. Your game plan can evolve over the course of a draft. Maybe the cards that you're looking for aren't there. Maybe something else opens up. So you want to understand what pivots exist. But until you understand what pivots exist, I would say rather than just taking the best card every pack, just when you, like, you know, in your first one to five picks, just commit to a thing that you're going to do just do that thing and if you you know pass other good cards um as long as you're taking things that contribute to the thing that you're trying to do that's fine and just focus on drafting decks that do things figure out which things you like which things you understand which things you gravitate toward and then you can start to notice when critical pieces of things that you like understand want to draft are there and then you might start to get a sense of when and how to pivot but i think if you're just trying to like get a foothold and a bearing in the format the thing to do is just make sure that your decks do something by kind of like soft forcing which is to say don't force knowing what you want to do before opening your first pack but commit to your first few cards and try to make it happen just to like see what that deck does what the critical pieces are and learn the pivots from there oh this is a pretty good question so i have been meaning to in general comment on gameplay more than uh i naturally do it's easier to talk about a uh, draft and harder to think about what people might need to hear about gameplay so really happy whenever someone has a gameplay question for me so this uh question if you uh 
how early do you tutor for the chaplain when you have multiple tutors? So this is a deck where you have like several shield wall sentinels. Do you just play a shield wall sentinel and get the chaplain, or do you like wait to get the chaplain later? Usually, if you're waiting to get the chaplain later, the reason is that you're getting another shield wall sentinel. So you're kind of building up a bunch of shield wall sentinels so that when you play the chaplain, you get a bunch of birds. The answer is really uh, context dependent because it depends on how much pressure you're under and whether you need to get the Wingmantle Chaplain to get a bunch of things to block. If your opponent's not pressuring you, I think it's better to just chain Shield Wall Sentinels so the Wingmantle Chaplain's more powerful. But sometimes you just need to get the Wingmantle Chaplain into play to like stabilize right then. The other situation where I might go straight for the Chaplain is if I have a recursion spell in my hand and I'm looking to get both Wingmantle Chaplain and Gibbering Barricade, and I don't have either one, I might use my first Shield Wall Sentinel to get the Chaplain so that I still have the other Shield Wall Sentinels in my deck to draw to get the Barricade. But for the most part, I think that the decision is going to be just like the Shield Wall Sentinel chain, where you just get all your Shield Wall Sentinels into play first, is something that you should do whenever you have the luxury to do that. But if you're under real pressure, then you often won't have that luxury. Another question. You first pick Chaplain. Next pack has Floriferous, Sentinel, and Barricade. Which do you want most? I'm guessing Sentinel, hoping one of the other two will wheel. Yeah. I think if you have Wingmantle Chaplain already, you basically don't want to pass any Sentinels because getting the Wingmantle Chaplain into your hand is so important. There is an option there to take the Floriferous Vinewall, because I think that it's also important and less likely to table, float the Shield Wall Sentinel. And then if the Shield Wall Sentinel comes back, you know that you can go full throttle. Whereas if it gets taken, you know that you might want to be careful about how you take walls. So I think it kind of depends on how much you want to commit. There's you get a lot of information about the rest of the draft and you're in a safer position if you take the floor first fine well. But like you yeah, I, I think actually it kinda depends on which other cards you passed in the Wingmantle Chaplain pack, but definitely part of me wants to take the floor first fine wall and float the shield wall sentinel for information. This depends somewhat on what happens when I see like the average taken at type stuff. In terms of, because like I personally think that it's often correct to take a speculative shield wall sentinel sixth or seventh pick, but if it turns out that people really aren't taking it when they aren't in defenders, then I think it's really useful to send it around the table to gather information. Next up, will you get the chaplain earlier if you're against a tapped out blue opponent and can play both? In the situation where you're talking about, you're saying you have eight mana, right? Like you've you played a shield wall sentinel, you can get the wing mantle chaplain and play it and your opponent's tapped out. At, at this point, like, you have eight mana in play. You've played a very long game. There's a lot of context on the board. There's a very good chance that your opponent has already used any essence scatters they have. So I, I, I don't know that that specific case is really all that useful to theorize about. But, I mean, if the question is, your blue opponent's tapped out, can you make a game-winning play? Yes, I would make the game-winning play against a tapped-out blue opponent. All right. I think that's going to wrap us up um this is kind of the episode for the previous week which means that i will be back again on wednesday to record uh the next episode 
on Dominar United. So uh, looking forward to drafting a lot between now and then and learning about other archetypes and coming back to tell you about something else in just a few days here. So thanks for tuning in and I'll be back with another episode soon.